there's uh, one thing I wanted to say, okay? I, I contemplated driving, you know, one of those giant Harleys, okay? But we all know in Matthew 20, uh, 26 that, that, that Jesus said, those who want to be first, right, must be last, must be your servant. And I thought, you know, this bike would be a little bit more my speed so I could... He who wants to be greatest in the kingdom must be your servant, and he who wants to be first must be your slave. And so, no, I, I really, I hope um, you guys had some fun. I hope we uh, didn't scare you too much as I came around the, the turn. I was going to run into Phil, maybe Steve, I don't know. You, you guys, <laughs> you were scaring me a little bit. But um, if you've been here before with us, uh, in addition to having fun, I hope you know we, we exist to be disciples who make disciples who live and love like Jesus. And today, the reason we're a little bit thinner today is because our youth group is doing just that. Right now, uh, we have 42 leaders and students currently on a train heading down to South Carolina to be on mission with Christ. All right. You see, they're going to be stepping outside of their comfort zone, okay, and, you know, living in uh, some, some cramped quarters, taking maybe one shower uh, a week. Um, I know my, my kids are looking forward to that. But they're, they're going to be stepping outside of their comfort zone, out of their normal sphere of influence. And the greatest part about that is that that's part of the building up of their ability to be a disciple maker. It's part of their spiritual growth. It's part of evangelism. It's, it's part of helping them understand that life is not about comfort and that it's sometimes putting others before you. And so we're, we're praying for them and we're, we're excited um, because part of what they're going to learn is how to bridge a gap with other people of different cultures, other situations. They're, they're outside of their little um, you know, school group or their youth group. And it reminds me, for me personally, this is something I didn't learn until I got to college. And I wish I would be, I was, I was as prepared as, as they're going to be when they get there. But what happened is, so I was growing up, and many of you probably have a similar experience. So I'm growing up in a small town. I'd say it's kind of like a Christian town. You know, everybody, everybody knows you. You could, you could talk about the Bible or, or quote scripture, and people, you know, pretty much agreed. They, there was very few people that did not believe in God um, or didn't believe the Bible, you know, was true. You know, so it was a safe environment, and really a lot of times evangelism to me meant, you know, just inviting someone to youth group, talking to them about Jesus. It was safe. You know, a lot of people seemed to be responsive to that. But when I got to college, um, I, I went to Towson University in Maryland, and um, when I got there, all of that changed. I, I immediately realized I have to adapt my approach. There's no way this is going to work. Because one of the first nights, we're in the living area, the quad, and I'm in the room with a bunch of other college students. And I'm starting to talk about um, how God created the entire universe in six days, something I thought was pretty much you know, a no-brainer for everybody. And immediately, it, the funniest thing is, this British guy, he, he starts laughing and says, surely nobody believes that anymore. Isn't that something they just tell little kids at night? 
kind of like Santa Claus stories. And everybody started laughing, everybody. There was not a single person that, that stood up for me. And I wasn't really so much, you know, really offended as I was shocked. I was like, and I, I remember saying to him, surely nobody believes we've come from monkeys, right? And, and I was alone, I was on my own. So it was just this strange situation where all of a sudden I realized, okay, if I'm gonna actually be on mission for Christ, if I'm gonna have an impact in the people around here, I've gotta figure out how to do this differently. And I, and I realized I had to get to know what is their worldview, what is their perspective, um, what is uh, their belief. A lot of people had um, you know, different religious beliefs and they were rooted in their beliefs, but you know, the important thing was I needed to learn how to bridge a gap to sharing the gospel, understanding um, what their position was. And, you know, as much as it can be really discouraging, and it is, right? And I think many of you experience that. You, you try, you know, sharing the gospel. You try sharing your testimony. Somebody either ignores you or maybe, you know, worse, you do get mocked uh, or somebody laughs at you. And, and a lot of times that shuts you down. And it makes you feel like, okay, I've, I'm not trying that again. <laughs> but, but let me do a quick demonstration for you. If everybody here can raise their hand, everybody in the room. Now wave to me. No. Um, so keep your hand up. If you heard the gospel for the first time and believed immediately, you can put your hand down. Okay, there are very few people that put their hand down. It's extremely rare that people um, become saved, right, the very first time they hear the gospel. It takes, it takes time, and, and we don't know why, right? It's a mystery of God. Salvation is a mystery of how the Holy Spirit works and convicts the hearts of unbelievers, right? But it takes time, so it shouldn't be discouraging when we see that, you know, sometimes we're met with, with some laughter, sometimes people reject us. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's part of the process. And, and you know, it's part of the fact that, that God is using you to help plant seeds. And, and the Apostle Paul um, said in 1 Corinthians, um, some plant and some water, but God gives the growth. So you can be assured that every single time you're sharing, it's, it's some type of seed that's being planted. And believe it or not, sometimes even in the most hostile soil, those seeds will start to take root. So we just need to do our part. And that's really simple as being ready, willing, and able to share the gospel when we have a chance. So the other interesting thing, though, is that we now have more uh, information, um, research available to us today than we have ever had in, in, in the history of mankind. And so when you think about people that say, well, I don't think I can share. I don't think I'd be ready to share the gospel. I don't think I can, I can do that. I don't have enough information. It's really then just a matter of, are we taking up the opportunities that are in front of us? Are we studying the scripture? You, there, there are tools to study uh, you know, the reliability of scripture. There's tools to study you know, arguments for the existence of God and, and for you to understand other religions and other worldviews so that you can make an impact and, and share your faith with people more effectively. Because quoting scripture a lot of times will turn people off and that's not, that's not always the, the first place to start. So today we're gonna look at um, 
the, the book of uh, Acts, and we're going to look at chapter 17, and we're going to see a, a story of Paul while he's in Athens, okay, the town of Athens, Greece. And we're going to see that this is, this is a place a little outside of his normal comfort zone. Uh, this is the first time he gets there to Athens, and he knew right away that he needed to, to adapt his approach, and we'll see that through the account. And from that, you know, we're just really going to look at three threes. We're going to look at the three responsibilities each of us as disciple makers have. We're going to look at the three questions that are on everyone's mind, and then we're going to see the three responses we can expect as we build those gospel bridges. So to begin, let's just do a quick, very quick background. Yes, uh, last week, we saw Paul, Timothy, and Silas running from Thessalonica for their lives, right? They, were, uh, they met with some hostile leaders there, so they ran off in the night to Berea, a town that wasn't too far away. And they initially received a warm welcome. The people in Berea really were receptive to the gospel. But the people from Thessalonica, the troublemakers, found them there in Berea and made trouble. They started stirring up the crowds again, and the believers there were worried for Paul's life. So what they did is they, they whisked them off to Athens and said, you know, you stay there, wait for Timothy and Silas. We're going to try to wrap things up over here, and you just, you just wait right where you're at. And so that brings us uh, to our text. And if we turn to uh, Acts 17... We're going to look at verses 16 to 34. And it starts off by saying, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city full of idols. So he gets there, as I said, for the first time, and it says he's greatly distressed. The Greek word for that is basically his, his spirit was troubled within him. And so he's, he's feeling emotional about what's going on here. And, and I think, of, have you ever gone to a place that wasn't at all what you were expecting? Have you ever had an experience like that? Any of you that went maybe on a mission trip, maybe the kids that arrived for the first time in South Carolina might feel the same way. They might be looking for beaches and realize there's bugs and, you know, tight sleeping arrangements. But for me, when I was uh, a teen, I actually went on a missions trip for, uh, over the summer, and we went to Germany and, and, and uh, Austria. And I was excited to go on the trip. Uh, there was about 30 of us that went on that trip. And I remember we got there, and we were completely shocked to find that there were no churches in the area. We were out trying to do uh, gospel ministry. We were trying to make connections in the town. Dead silence. Nobody wanted anything to do with us. And for me, you know, I was shocked. I was disturbed that, like, okay, here's the birthplace of the Reformation, and it's godless, and there's nothing we're doing that's making an impact. And this is kind of how Paul felt. He gets to Athens. He's looking around. He's shocked at the idol worship. He's just amazed. And, and historians tell us what's interesting is the, the city of Athens had more idols than all of the rest of Greece. And it was a kind of a historical joke to say that you were more likely to meet a god than another man. So he sees this uh, condition of, of Athens, and he was concerned. He was troubled. And specifically, his re reaction shows us, though, that he was ready. 
He was ready to preach the gospel. You know, he didn't take in the town of Athens as a sightseer. He didn't go and find a place to hide out, um, hoping that nobody followed him. He looked around at his surroundings. He was assessing, okay, where can I make an impact? Where can I share the gospel? So he was always mission-minded. He was always on mission. And that's something that, you know, for me, it's a challenge. I, I think of it all the time. Do I look around at where God has me with those eyes, right? Or do I get too busy into my routine? You know, when I look at Frederick County, am I shocked, am I disturbed by what I see? You know, and, and we think about passages about idol worship and, okay, you know, we don't have that in America, but obviously we do, right? And, and the idols we worship really, you know, aren't man-made, but they're just as powerful. I think of the idols of, of comfort. Comfort is the number one thing that people pursue the older they get. They think of, you know, how do I continue to kind of protect my world of comfort? Success, money. For some, it's, you know, the drugs and alcohol. For some, it's pride. Yeah, that's a big thing this month, right? There's pride that, that people, that's their idol. This, this self-sufficiency, right? And so we have the same idols, really. We're worshiping man-made gods, in a sense, and they have just a death grip uh, as they did back then. And so for me, I think, personally, how do I stay sharp then? How do I not allow that to make me numb? You know, because I find, you know, the culture starts to seep in, right? It's like the little dirt in the river, the sediment, you know, it's continuing to seep into the clean water, into the church. We see it all across uh, America, right? The churches that have kind of compromised, and it's seeping in. So how do we stay sharp? How do we have the clarity that Paul had? And, you know, as we see from his example, there's a couple things about being ready, I think. Personally, I think, first, we need to be able to see things through the eyes of God, we need to be seeing things as he sees them, praying that he would break our heart for what breaks his, right? To have that mindset like Paul did, to be disturbed to see the idolatry around us, like to actually be disturbed, not to participate, not to, you know, for me personally, it's, it's what am I watching and, you know, what are, what are my kids listening to? Those things, you got to be careful, and at work, in the old days when I worked at T-Row, it was like, how am I talking? How am I interacting with people? Who am I kind of associating with? Or, you know, when I'm pursuing things, you know, how much am I putting sports in front of my family and my kids' schedules ahead of, of the church family and our, and our growth? You know, so I have to see things through the eyes of God. I need to, I need to allow my mind to be focused on mission, because that's what we're here for. And we also need to be very prayerful. If you think about it, Paul was a man of prayer, always, always about prayer. Wherever he went, he asked for prayer. Wherever he went, he prayed for people. And he was always praying for open doors for the gospel. If you read Colossians 4, 2 through 3, he says, devote yourself to prayer being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, 
that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. He was always ready. He was always prayerful. And so for us, think about it. Are you praying for opportunities to share the gospel? Do you pray for opportunities to share the gospel every day? Here's another one. Do you have three or four people that are in your life that you're praying for? Just as an encouragement, this was something somebody encouraged me once in a sermon, and I began every morning to pray, Lord, lead me to a gospel opportunity. Lead me to somebody who needs to hear the truth. Give me an opportunity to plant a seed. And then I started to collect a couple names And I'd have them on a prayer card, and I'd pray for them every day. I'd pray for their situation. I'd think about their family life. I'd ask them questions. So, you know, one woman's uh, husband loses a job. I'd update my card. Okay, now I'm praying that that would lead to some opportunity for them to see their need, right? But it's really being prayerful is being ready. It's before you do anything at all, it happens on your knees. And that's the most powerful thing you can start with. So think about it. Are you ready or do you need to adjust your your schedule or your perspective? For me, I absolutely, if anybody knows me, I can tell you, I can promise you that the biggest thing that gets in my way is my own schedule, my own, you know, order of things. I I like to do things in order. I like to have, you know, things done at the end of the day and feel good about it. I like post-it notes and checklists, so... I've got plenty of them in my office. But it's really about having the right perspective. But we also need to be willing to share the gospel. We need to know that we can make a difference. And and what we see in Paul is that he was. He was ready, but he was also willing and able. And we'll see that in verse 17. He jumps right in. It says, So he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. He, he knew that God had him there for a reason. He knew he was in Athens for a reason. And this word dialogued or reasoned, okay, it's a word that means two-way conversation. So the important thing to, to see here is he was, he was willing to jump right in. We see it right away. He went, you know, found the, the, the religious people in the synagogues. He went in the marketplace for the pagans. And he was out there preaching and sharing, you know, to anyone who will listen, looking for an impact. But he was dialoguing or reasoning with them, okay? That means he was also prepared. He had a way and a method of, of, of actually evangelizing people who are lost, people that were not churched. And we'll see that in a little bit. Because we know, obviously, arguing doesn't work. I don't know if any of you have had a debate or an argument. I had plenty of those in college and realized very quickly that some people are just looking for a fight verbally. They just want to you know, feel superior by you know, stating all these you know, important facts that they think. But the important thing is that we're ready, willing, and able to share the truth of the gospel. And so, let me tell you a quick story, and um, it's, it's, it's about actually somebody here in our congregation, and I'm not seeing him right now, but um, maybe that's better. 
But if you know Roland Warren, he's the CEO of CareNet, um, a very well-spoken man. I love uh, speaking with Roland. He has so many you know, great things to share, and he's a man on mission. He's always a disciple maker, okay? And so he and I were talking a couple weeks ago, and he shared this, this really cool story. It really opened my eyes to opportunities. So he's, he's telling me he's on a business trip, and he's, he's in the airport, and he's sitting near a guy that has a tattoo that says, only God can judge me. Anybody know the reference? It's actually a Tupac song, the rapper, for those of you that are old enough. I think many of you are. Um, maybe it wasn't your, your music choice, it wasn't mine. So. <laughs> but, so I can imagine this guy, he's a pretty big guy, it sounds like. And, and, and you know, from the description Rollin gave me, he's got a tattoo that seems a little intimidating to me. I don't have, mine says amazing grace, you know, no. But so he's sitting with this guy, and, and here's the cool part. He feels prompted by the Holy Spirit. He, he's on a business trip. I, I am so guilty of back in the day, I would put noise-canceling headphones on. I'd do my work. I'd have my laptop. I just would be in a zone seeing this business trip as just a way to get work done without my, anybody interrupting, right? If you've been there. I know you have. <laughs> but he feels prompted by the Holy Spirit to say, something to this guy, to, to offer a gospel bridge. And so what does he say? He, he looks over at the tattoo and he says, I, I like your tattoo, but let me ask you, how will God judge you? Whoa, that's an interesting question. And so it took the guy back a little bit, um, but they had, a, they had a great conversation, and believe it or not, you know, in the airport, a tough-looking guy with a tattoo was open to hearing what, what Rollins said. He shared the gospel, and the, and the interesting thing is he gave him his cell phone number, and the two of them have been uh, keeping in touch ever since. He was showing me all the Bible verses they're sending back and forth, and he shared um, this new discipleship curriculum from Tony Evans with the guy that, like, is great for new believers. And so here, you know, this, this mission field is right in front of him. He just took a second to talk to a guy and think about the impact that seed had. You know, but he had to be, what, what? He had to be prepared. He had to be ready for the opportunity. He had to be willing to just speak. I mean, to, to just start having that conversation. But he also had to be able he had to know enough about how to engage somebody from a different culture, from a different environment. And, you know, it's a great example of always being on mission. And I hope for you, it's a great example that tattoos are a witnessing tool and not a, not a way to judge people, right? So it's an opportunity for us. And his story, you know, is a great example that, you know, I'm personally motivated by because I, I think of all the opportunities if you think about it, the message of the gospel needs messengers. I don't know why, I don't know why, but God wants us to be part of that process. Did you know that? That he allows us to be part of his salvation plan. But we, we just need to be on mission with him. We need to be ready. And so when you think about it, it's really as simple as being able 
to share the gospel and just open your mouth and speak and talk to people, get to know them. You don't need to have all the answers, uh, but we do need to always be growing, okay? And that's the, that's the important thing. We need to be learning and growing, stepping outside of our comfort zone, and God will open up all kinds of doors. And that's actually what happened to Paul. In verse 19, we see that unexpectedly, he's out there in the marketplace. He must have uh, gotten a lot of notice. And if you read the story on your own, I'm going to keep us moving. What happens is, he you know, meets with a little bit of resistance, but, but there's a group of people that want to take him to this Oropagus, this place that's, that we now call Mars Hill. But it's called the Oropagus. It's not only a location, but it was also a group of scholars. So there'd be these scholars that met there and discussed very important matters. Um, it was primarily made up of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and all you really need to know about them is both, both type of philosophers believed that the gods, if they even existed at all, were completely detached from, from human life, from everyday life. And they also, um, the Epicureans believed that life was all about the pursuit of happiness because there was no afterlife in their, in their opinion. And then the Stoics, they were really all about logic and reason self-sufficiency, because the, the, the gods aren't involved in your life. You have to be a self-made person, right? And so think about it, and I, I think when I was reading this, do I know anyone like that? Do I know people with those type of, um, you know, religious beliefs or, or, or philosophical beliefs? I, I think that's nearly every unbeliever that I meet. They think that life is about being good enough, just leading you know, a balanced life, but having fun while you do it because you know, who knows what's going to happen afterwards. So it's, it's being ready. And so when he was ready for this opportunity, we're going to see in verses 22 through 31, he basically opens up the door to the gospel in basic, what many people say is the best uh, presentation of the gospel to the Gentiles in the New Testament. It was a masterful uh, approach because the important thing is he built a bridge of understanding, and we're going to see this briefly. He built a bridge of understanding to the worldview of the people that were in front of him. You know, whenever he spoke to the, to the Jews, he would quote Old Testament scripture because that was their background. But what he does here is he looks at their beliefs, their, their practices, he quotes their phil, uh, philosophers, and he connects all of what they're doing and shows them that you're looking for truth and I've got it right here. I've got the answer you're looking for. And so when we look in verse 22 through 30, uh, 23, he starts off with a hook. He knows that his audience needs to be hooked into the conversation. He needs to connect with them. And so he says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So he hooks them in by making that connection point, right? Hey, you know, you're religious. I see that you, you know, have these statues. You're, you're searching for the unknown God. He's making this connection with them, 
commending them a little bit for what they are doing right and connecting them to the message he's going to talk about. And this is a great starting point for us. I, I was living with a group of uh, Turkish Muslims in college. You know, doesn't everybody? And I, I remember, in addition to many weird things that I saw, <laughs> I remember thinking, how do I connect with Turkish Muslims? Like, they, they want nothing to do with, with my beliefs. But what I found is, I, I first started with, you know, isn't it great that you believe in, in the sovereignty of God. Wow, that's something we both agree on. And I would commend them for the fact that they prayed religiously five times a day. And, and I thought, you know, there's a lot of Christians I know that, that pray, you know, once a day at, at best. So I commended them. And, and I also had done my research. I found out that, you know, Muslims do believe in Jesus. They do believe in Jesus. They believe that he was a holy prophet, a revered man, so they ha we had this connection. But when I would talk to them about our connection, I would explain how we view Jesus as so much more. I would take them through Hebrews, right, and the supremacy of Christ over even the angels. And that connection point would lead me to be able to explain why that mattered. You see, it's making those connection points. And something I learned, you know, a lot at, at my old uh, company. I used to come home, you know, when I'm trying to witness and talk to people, I would tell my wife, oh, you know, if you ask everybody, everybody's a Christian. Everybody's saved. You know, like, everybody's a Christian. They'll all say they're, they're a Christian because that's a moniker that people wear, you know, and, and it's, it's something that people hide behind, I think, most people, if you really dig deep enough. And I think about, you know, how do you get to the bottom of where they are? spiritually. How do you do it? You know, when you think about someone you meet, does that just make you believe, okay, he said he's a Christian, I'm good, I'm going to go look for someone else? I, for me, I learned, you know, the best way to, for me, at my old job, was to start asking questions about their relationship to Christ, what, how do they view Christ, um, you know, eternal you know, future that we have, see where we align with, you know, biblical values. And a lot of times I would find that people knew of God. They knew of God in a sense, from a church sense, but they didn't know God and have a personal relationship with him, right? And there was this one man, I remember, you know, he, he told me, hey, I'm Catholic, I, you know, go to... So he started this conversation, and I don't even know why he did to this day. But it's interesting because I... I I said, oh, that's great, you know, and we, you know, we're getting rolling in some conversations. I'm asking him a lot of questions. And I said, but what, what do you, how would you explain your relationship to Christ? And he said, well, you know, I was catechized. I, was, I went through catechism. I was baptized when I was, um, you know, an infant. And, you know, it's like, well, okay, that, that's awesome. But what about, what, you, what would you say your relationship to Christ is? And he thought a little bit longer. He said, well, my wife and I are trying to go to church more often because we have, you know, two small kids. We know how important. We just, you know, we want to get them through church. Like I, you know, I had church. It's like, okay, that's great. Church is great. But what's your relationship to Christ? What, how would you explain that? It took him a while. And finally, you know, what's interesting, he finally said, well, you know, I try to be a good enough person. 
said, you see it, I, I try, but you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't always do it, but I try. But it was that moment, that, that third question, that finally got me to a place where I could explain to him my relationship to Christ and why that was important and why I knew I, I'm not good enough on my own and really connecting the bridge. And it was a tough uh, conversation, but you know how many times after that he came to my office and asked for prayer he would want to know more. Um, but you have to get past those walls. You have to get past those walls that people put up. And one of the best ways to know that, how to get past those walls, I'll give you a hint. It's our three questions, okay? Every single person you ever meet will have wrestled with these three questions at some point and probably ongoing, even believers at times, right? There's three questions. What do you think they are? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Everybody wants to know the answer to those questions. You know, and science tries to wrestle around with the first question and tell you that, that they know facts about things that they don't. Uh, philosophy loves to wrestle with the second question, right? Why am I here, my existence? But only Christianity, only Christianity can offer the answer to all three of those with certainty, with absolute certainty. And that's what people are looking for. And so Paul gets into uh, speaking about this with the greatness of God. He talks about, in verses 20 through, uh, 24 through 26, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and histories and their boundaries of their lands. He starts by explaining the answer to the first question. Where did I come from? Well, he, he says it by three specific uh, representations of who God is. He talks about the fact that God is our creator, the originator of life. He's given life to everyone. That's why you're here. That's why you're here is because God created you. He talks about the fact that God is self-sustaining, all-sufficient. He needs nothing from man. In fact, you know, most people think that God's a taking God, don't they? You know, oh, God, you know, took that person away from me, or God took that comfort away from me because I didn't do something, or, or just because he's, he's an unloving God. But the reality is that God is a giving God. He gives us everything, life and breath and everything to all people. And the other thing that Paul explains is that he's a designer God. He designed everything with a meticulous purpose. He marked out the boundaries and the generations. Everything was all in his design. It was his perfect will and divine plan to create each and every one of us just like we are, right? 
just like we are at birth. He created us that way. All the flaws, any disabilities, any skills, he created us that way for a purpose, in his image and in his likeness, because he loves us and because he has a plan. And that is something that we need to tell ourselves every day. And that's something we should be proud of and tell our children and reaffirm them in their special person in God's eyes. And the next thing he talks about in verse 27 is that God did this. He did all this. He created all this with a plan so that they, so that man would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. The word he uses there is grope for, like in the darkness. And he says, and find him though he is not far off from any one of us. Did you know that? He's never far off from any one of us. We're the ones walking away from him and he's right there all along, right? And so this word groping, it reminds me, groping in the darkness, I, I was on a business trip and I had spent a whole week in Colorado Springs in, a, in Hilton Garden Inn and the next morning, at the end of the week, I had this really early flight. I think I had to like, I would have had to have left my hotel at like 3 a.m. And so I, I was like, I'm going to go to Denver. I'm flying out of Denver. I, I put my, got a hotel room there, another Hilton Garden Inn. Got to use my points. So I get there, and the room is almost the exact same, except it's the mirror image. It's, it's like opposite land. So I'm there for one night, and I had been in this other room for a whole week, and I go to bed, and I'm sleeping, and in my own mind, when I wake up to use the restroom, as is my custom, um, once a night, but you didn't know that. Um, in my mind, I'm, I'm in the Colorado Springs Hotel. So I had already gotten into a rhythm, a routine for a week of jump out of bed, and go right. And I slammed into a wall and nearly broke my kneecap and was groping around in the darkness just searching for light. I needed light. Where am I? I was so confused and disoriented because I didn't have the light, right? And that's what people, that's what he's saying here, so that they would grope, they would search, that we would find him. You know, in, in, in Romans 1, 19 through 20, Paul explains this to the church in Rome. He explains that since what may be known about God is plain to them because God made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, understood from what has been made, right? Right? so that people are without excuse. So what, what Paul is saying there is everything around us speaks God. He's right there. He's not far off. You don't have to search far for him. And no one is without excuse. No one. Because he has made himself plain to us. And that is what we can help share the message about. God's beautiful creation, who he is, and not only is he not far off, you know, the kicker is that he actually came down 
in the person of Jesus Christ and lived with us and died for us because he is that close to us. And if you do not know that God, the God that is close to us, talk to us. I want to talk to you. I want to share more. And then last, he wraps up with verses 30 through 31. He's going to wrap this all up with that gospel message. And this is the important kicker. And I think most people leave this out of their discussion with people about the gospel, unfortunately. But this should never be left out. He says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, the ignorance of man. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Christ's resurrection is the proof that he is God and that he is powerful enough to save. But here's the important part that I want to to spend a little bit of time on. This is explaining where am I going? And this is the most important question that everyone will have because it lasts for eternity. How much do we have to hate someone to not share the good news of the gospel with them. Think about that. This is their eternity. This is your eternity. And the important thing is that Paul closed with that. That was the important end of the story. You cannot have the good news without the bad news first. That we are all sinners, right? In need of a savior. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that eternal destiny is on the horizon for each one of us. And judgment is real. Judgment is real because of who Christ is and how righteous God is. And and that is for everyone. And so when we think about, you know, when we're sharing with people, do we get there? Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you stand on a corner. I don't know how many of you have seen that. I have. I remember going to Towson when I first got there back in the early or the late 90s. Um, People would actually still preach kind of in the middle of campus and people would laugh at them and walk away. I'm not saying that that's your your strategy, but what I'm saying is eventually when you're talking to somebody, the, the conversation eventually needs to get to the truth of the gospel, the whole gospel, right? Because that's what saves. It's not your clever words. It's not my clever words. I, I have never come up with clever enough words to substitute uh, explaining scripture and preaching the gospel or talking about the gospel with people. That is what the Holy Spirit uses to change the hearts and minds of people. And so it's in Christ alone that we have our salvation, and can share this message. So, at the end, what do you think the reaction was to Paul? It's pretty simple. It's probably, if you haven't seen these three, you're going to see them at some point. He had people mocking him and rejecting the message, just outright. They thought he was crazy. You know, the cross is foolishness to some, right? 
he also had some further contemplating. Okay, well, we'll, well, maybe we'll hear you again on this subject. Maybe I'll talk to you later about this. And you, you might have somebody that does that. Maybe it's just a polite response. But then there were a few that actually became saved. There weren't many. The text really kind of doesn't give us a specific number. Only two people are named. But think about, you know, what did Christ say? You know, leaving the 99 to save the one. And think about in your lifetime, right? You might come into contact with someone that has to hear the message over and over again. And maybe you have that opportunity. With my wife, when I first met her, she absolutely rejected the message of the gospel. I'm surprised she dated me the second time because she thought I was, you know, narrow-minded. Completely rejected it. Months went by, and I could see this contemplation going on, right? She would ask questions and then really think about my answers. And then she became saved. She accepted the gospel. I have no idea why it happened exactly the way it did, and if I could have said something earlier to make it happen fast. But God knows but you need to know that all you need to do is plant the seeds. Be ready, willing, and able to share the gospel and let God take care of the rest. And I'm here to tell you that we're here to partner with you. There are things like just this Wednesday night, we kicked off an apologetics course. It is an awesome opportunity to learn how to reason with people, right? To reason with people of other religions, other worldviews, to understand how can you be more confident in your own faith and in the veracity of the Bible, in the, in the truthfulness of it? There's also online courses I know I've mentioned before, but Dallas Theological Seminary um, offers a free online course in evangelism. It's all virtual. It's a seven-week course that'll help you share the gospel, to know how to share the important components of the gospel, to, to um, understand how to make that gospel bridge to somebody. So just go online. It's uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, online free courses, and you can find that. But as I mentioned, you know, we are here to partner with you. We are here to help you become ready, willing, and able to share the gospel because we are all disciples on a mission to be disciples who make disciples who live and love like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for just the opportunity to, to worship you, to come here together, to be encouraged by your word, Lord, that wherever we are, you are planting the seeds through the words that we share. I just thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity that our youth have right now and the leaders helping lead them. As they head on down to South Carolina, we pray a blessing of, of safe travels over them. We pray that you would open the hearts and the minds of all the, the people uh, who are, they're going to interact with through their growth club um, and, and their VBS program that they're going to be uh, doing down there, that the children's hearts will be ready to hear the gospel. We just pray that they will plant the seeds faithfully and that they will continue to be watered and grow and that we could see more and more king, um, kingdom children being raised in our time. We ask you, Lord, that you would continue to uh, be with their work project as well, that there would be safety as they, they work together, as they plan ahead for 
just all the opportunities you're going to show them in front of them. And we just pray for each one of us here. Lord, lay on our hearts those who are right around us, right here, people that we come in contact with, those that we know have need or have, have suffered loss, Lord, people that we can pray specifically for an open door, an opportunity to share the gospel, to be on mission with you, Lord. And we, ju we just pray that we'll be ready and willing and able when that, that day comes, that you would use the words of your scripture through us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.